morning. It's good to see you, or well, to be seen. Um, I'm pretending I see you right now because um, I know you're there watching on Facebook, and uh, I'm glad to be here with you guys and to worship God together, uh, even though, as Tyler mentioned before, this is not uh, normal for us, um, but God can still be glorified as we fix our hearts and our minds upon him, and as we sing to him, as we pray, as we uh, listen to his word together and consider how he wants to reveal himself to us. Um, Today we're going to continue looking at the book of Micah, and we're looking at Micah 1, through Micah 5, 1 through 6, so grab your Bible, or if you have the, the bulletin close at hand um, on your uh, phone or iPad, you can, you can look at it. Um, but basically, so far what we've seen in Micah in the first three chapters is how Micah has been warning the people of God's judgment that is coming upon them um, because of their, their idolatry, because of their uh, failure to listen to him, to honor him, to love others, how they've used other people and taken advantage of them how they failed to practice justice and mercy um, in their lives. And, and, and so Micah has been warning them of God's judgment, uh, that he's planning on, on these foreign powers, Assyria and then Babylon, coming to wreak havoc and to conquer them. And then in chapter 4, we see God's promise of deliverance, promise of rescue, promise of compassion, um, and his, his faithfulness to con- continue to love them and gather them. And now at the beginning of chapter 5, we have maybe arguably one of the, the most familiar verses in the book. Um, it's somewhat debatable, but this is one we actually read pretty much every Christmas because it's a specific prophecy of where the Messiah would be born, uh, where Jesus would be born. And so we read about that every Christmas. And, uh, and so it might be familiar to you. And, and, it was, and it was actually pretty clear to the Israelites because we know in, in Matthew when, when King Herod asks, you know, where the, where's the Messiah to be born? And, and so the teachers of, of the law, the scribes, all those guys knew the answer. They knew because of Micah that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. And yet they failed to understand the impact of the Messiah and what he would do and the significance of, of what he offered them. And so that's, a, I think, something that we should be careful as we read this passage. As, as familiar as it is, we, we know that the prophecy about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem, maybe. But uh, don't miss what God wants to say. Don't miss what God wants to offer you this morning as I read, as we think about this. So, so listen to God's word as I read from Micah 5, verses 1 to 6. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops, Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. 
Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us now um, as we look at these words that were written so, so many years ago, that you would, uh, by your spirit, work in us to open our ears, to open our minds, to open our hearts to what you want to say. Father, we pray that you would speak to us and that we would hear and that we would be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I would have to say maybe one of the wisest things I have ever heard uh, a celebrity, a famous movie star, say uh, was said by Jim Carrey, if you know who Jim Carrey is, uh, a guy who stars in a lot of silly, foolish movies like Dumb and Dumber, Ace Ventura, Pet Pet Detective. Well, a few years ago in 2016, he was on the Golden Globes, and he wasn't receiving an award, but he was coming out to present an award, and the announcer, as he's walking out on the stage, says, please welcome two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey to the stage. And Jim Carrey walks out. He's looking all good. He's got his tuxedo on. His, his hair is you know, combed perfectly. He's got a nice big bushy beard. And, and he looks happy to be there. And he steps up to the mic. And he just smiles. And he says, thank you. I am two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. And when I go to sleep at night, I, I don't just go to sleep like any ordinary person. I, go to, I, I'm, I am two-time Golden Globe winning Jim Carrey, getting some well-needed shut-eye at night. And when I dream, I don't just dream any ordinary dream. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe-winning Jim Carrey. Because then I would be enough. Then I, w- I, could, I could stop this, this, this exhausting, horrible search. You know, in other words, then I would have peace and everything would be okay. And he's poking fun, obviously, at, at these awards that they give to one another, these celebrities give to one another, and, and poking fun at, at the fact that these can't satisfy, these can't be enough, these can't give anyone peace, because no matter how many have, you want one more. Every single one of us, I think, is, is searching, I know it, is searching for peace. We're searching for this experience of life where we know that Everything is okay, where we are okay, where we are full, where we are satisfied. We're searching for what the Old Testament describes as this idea of shalom. The word shalom is a Hebrew word that's translated peace here in verse 5. And the idea of shalom, peace, isn't just the absence of conflict and, and you know, nothing bad happening. Shalom is, is much greater than that. Shalom is, is experiencing life as it was made to be experienced. Living a life um, as, it, as it was meant to be, where we are satisfied and full and at rest. And all is good. All is perfect. We're all, I think, searching for that. And we use all sorts of different resources to try to, to try to orchestrate that for ourselves. I mean, we use our technology. Uh, we, we use our, our phones and our computers to try to uh, orchestrate life so that it's more peaceful. Uh, we try to use medicine in, in order to get rid of anything, uh, any, any illnesses or, or, or physical problems that, that might disrupt our peace. We use the things that we buy. We use our money to try to orchestrate peace for ourselves. We use people and relationships to try to orchestrate peace for ourselves. We use our achievements, whether it's a golden globe or a promotion 
or a trophy to kind of give ourselves a greater sense of, of peace and, you know, everything is as it should be feeling. But none of these things can, can deliver. None of these things can satisfy us. None of these things can give us the shalom that the Bible's talking about. The Israelites were tempted to look to their own resources and their own strength as they hoped for peace as well. You know, at, at the time, they were, they were living life in, in the context of, of these other big superpowers, the Assyrians, and then later on the Babylonians, and they were under threat of these guys, and the Assyrians were invading and going to invade their land, and they'd already conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, and Judah was facing them, and, and, and they were thinking, you know, what is going to bring us peace? What is going to bring us security and safety? What is going to bring us, what, what's going to make everything right? And, and I think Micah points them to the fact that they may be tempted to think that their military strength is their only hope. At the very beginning of the passage, he says, now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Muster your troops. You think that your troops is where your hope is to get peace and security and safety. And then he points out, with a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. He doesn't refer to him as king, but, but their, their visible king is their judge. And, and, and he points out that their judge, is, their, their, judge their king, is, is not the one who's going to give them safety and peace. Their resources aren't enough to give them peace. And, and what God says in this passage, I think, is that he alone is the one who can give them peace. He alone is the one who can give you peace and me peace and our never-ending search for it. And so what we need to do, I think what this passage encourages us to do, is to do three things, to, to rest, to recognize, and to receive to rest, to recognize, and to receive. So first of all, I think Micah encourages us to rest. And when I, when I say rest, he, he encourages us to rest from what we try to do to get peace. He encourages us to rest from what we try to do to bring peace. After telling the Israelites to muster their troops, to work at what they think they can do, what does he do next? He, he says in verse 2 that their peace is going to come from a certain place. It's going to come from Bethlehem. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Your peace, Israel, our peace, is going to come from this town of Bethlehem. And the thing about this town of Bethlehem that's significant is that it's not significant. It's small. Nobody would really pay attention to Bethlehem unless somebody made them pay attention to Bethlehem. You know, in our day we have major cities that, that you know by just referencing the, the city itself. You know, New York, everybody knows what we're talking about when we say New York. Paris, everybody knows what we're talking about when we say Paris. London, everybody knows what we're talking about when we say those, those, those cities by themselves. You couldn't just say Bethlehem by itself. You had to say Bethlehem in the region of Ephrata, or else you would have no idea where, where this place is or what, what they're talking about, what, what Mike is talking about. It's so small. And back when, when Israel was entering the promised land and Joshua was dividing up all of the, the, the land of Israel to the people and the tribes, and, and he would list cities that each region could have, Bethlehem was not listed. It was not seen as big enough, significant enough to, to be listed in those cities. Bethlehem was small. It was insignific insignificant. So why would God use such a, a, a town of such insignificance to say, this is where your peace is going to come from. This is where the ruler who's going to bring peace is going to come from. Well, this is something that God does over and over and over and over again throughout the Bible. He is constantly 
using things that are small, things that are insignificant, things that seem powerless and weak to accomplish his purposes. Why does he do that? He does that to make it clear that he is accomplishing his purposes and not us. I think the fact that he's pointing to the fact that, that their peace is going to come out of this small, little, insignificant town is highlighting the fact that, that God is going to make this happen, not them. They're not going to make their peace happen by, by trying to fight for it with their armies. The only way their peace is going to happen is by counting on what God is going to do. By counting on what God does instead of what they do. And so they need to rest from what they're trying to do to get their peace. And so it's simply, simply the, the point is this. Real peace and contentment and fullness will never come from our efforts to find it or achieve it. It's not going to come from us working really, really hard at the office or now in our living room with our laptop or in our office at home. It's not going to come from us working really hard to get that promotion or to succeed. Our peace isn't going to come from there. Our peace isn't going to come from working really hard to make enough money so that then we, we, can, we can take time off and have some peace. And, and, and working really hard at planning these perfect vacations, which are never perfect, those things will never give us peace, no matter how hard we work at them. Our peace is not going to come from, you know, all of us have this, this vision of what the perfect life, you know, our life should look like when everything's going to be perfect. You know, we're going to live in a perfect place. We're going to live in this, we're going to be doing this certain thing. We're going to have these certain people in our lives. Our peace isn't going to come from us trying really hard to get all of that stuff. Our peace is only going to come from what God does, from, from by, by welcoming what God is, has done and what he's going to do. This absolutely applies to our spiritual peace, our peace with God. This is the fundamental difference between Christianity and pretty much every other religion in the world. I've said this before. Every, every other religion in the world basically says, in order to get shalom, in order to get life to be the way it should be, in order to have peace, you need to work really hard and obey these rules. You need to pray at these certain times. You need to go to church a certain amount of times. You have to volunteer and do these things. You have to try to be nice. You have to swear less. You have to do these things and try really hard at these things, and then you will have peace. But Christianity says, the Bible says, the way to peace is by resting, by not counting on those things, and instead counting on what God does, completely and totally on what God has done through Jesus and in what God gives to us. We need to rest on what he has done to give us peace. So first, Micah encourages us to rest from what we're doing. Secondly, Micah encourages us to recognize the one he has promised, to recognize his ability, to recognize who he is. He says in verse 2, what do we know about this ruler? Well, we know that this ruler is going to come from Bethlehem and that he's going to the, the one who's coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. One of the, the things that that probably communicates is, is that it, this is the one who is, is in answer to all of God's promises from ancient days. Back long ago, Israel had this king, David, who was the best king they ever had. He still was not that great in a lot of ways. But he was the, kind of the ideal king. And God made a promise to David that he would have a descendant to sit on the throne forever. 
And so one of the things that this verse points to is that it's God's faithfulness. He is faithful to fulfill his promises. And, and the one will be the one who fulfills the promises to David, to sit on the throne of David. But, but more than that, he's going to be from of old. The phrase of old is used a couple other times in the Old Testament, and both times it refers to God himself. And so this one who is coming isn't just any ordinary man. He is the eternal one, the unshakable one, the immovable one. And what do we know about him? What else do we know about him? We know that, that he's going to stand in verse 4 and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. He, he's he's going to, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, he, he's, he's going to be God himself. He's going to be divine, unshakable, eternal. And in the power of of God. He's going to shepherd his people. He's going to take care of his people. He's going to take care of you and me. We need to recognize that, that as we live our lives, there is one who is living and who is a shepherd. What does a shepherd do? He protects those who are his own. He provides for those that are his own. He, he leads them and guides them. This is the thing, a lot of our lack of peace in life, a lot of the the things that produce anxiety in us is our our sense of of the fact that we feel like we have to provide for ourselves. We feel like we have to protect ourselves. When somebody attacks us, I have to protect myself and fight back. Um, As I think about the things that are going wrong in in, in my house, I need to figure out how I can have enough money to pay for those things. I think I need to, I need to pr- provide for myself. I need to protect myself. I need to, to work really hard to figure out you know, h- how to make my life perfect as I, as I go forward in the future. But, but what he reminds us here is that God has provided a shepherd who's going to care for you, who's going to provide for your every need. You know, in, in Matthew, Jesus encourages us, give us to pray to God, give us this day our daily bread. He will provide for your every need. And he will protect you. He will protect you. And so we need to recognize a lot of our stress, a lot of our anxiety, a lot of the the lack of peace in our lives comes from forgetting that there is one, the promised one, the shepherd, who promises to, to meet our needs and to care for us and to protect us. So we need to rest from what we're doing to get peace. We need to recognize who he is, the promised one, the shepherd, who offers to give us peace. But, but along with resting and recognizing, finding peace, ultimately finding shalom, experiencing shalom, is about receiving the promised one himself. It's not just recognizing that he's real and that he's, gonna, he's promised to take care of me. It's about relationally receiving him, knowing him, being one with him. To me, the most striking thing that's said in this whole passage is in the beginning of verse 5 where God says this through Micah. He says, he shall be their peace. He shall be their peace. What does he do? He, he basically, Micah equates peace with the one who is promised. He says, he says, this one who is coming, who's born in Bethlehem, the one who's going to stand and be the shepherd, he equals peace. He is the very definition of peace. If you want peace, then the way you're going to find it is in him, in knowing him, in living life in his presence with him, knowing that you are connected to him, joined to him, 
That is where peace is found. That is where shalom is found. That's where, where, where a sense of, of all is right with the world is found. It's found in, in knowing that, that Jesus, the one who is promised here, has been given. And he is mine. And I can know him. And I can know what it is to be loved by him. He defines peace for me. Uh, a couple times I've talked about, we, we talk about what is, what is heaven going to be like? I mean, heaven is shalom. That's where we're going to ultimately experience shalom like never before. Like the world is going to be the way it should be. There's going to be no more death, no more crying, no more pain, no more sin. That is what heaven is. But we dare not think that heaven is just going to be the absence of all of this bad stuff. And that's what heaven is. Really, the essence of heaven, the, the core of heaven, what, what heaven really is, is Jesus. All of that stuff, sin, pain, being gone, it's not heaven unless Jesus is there. And guess what? Jesus has come. He has fulfilled these promises. He was born in Bethlehem, and he has come. And, and, and we can know him today. We can receive him today. And so guess what? You can experience shalom today. It may not be complete and total shalom like we'll experience when he returns, but you can experience the beginnings of shalom today, no matter what else is happening in your life. This past week, we've had uh, probably, uh, I I would not describe this past week as a a week of shalom for me. (laughs) Um, This week has been a little more uncomfortable. It's been a little more difficult because if, if you were like me, we, we were without power for several days this week. And for those of us, when we don't have electricity, when we don't have power and we've been used to it, it makes life that much more difficult when we don't have it. You know, it's harder to do your work if you're trying to work from home without power, without internet, right? And an inability to communicate with people as you're used to, an inability to do things on the computer that you're used to. And, it, and it's just frustrating. It's harder. It, it, it was harder for me even just to, just to sleep at night without any air conditioning or without even a fan to blow the air through the room. It's just hotter and it's, it's just more annoying and it's harder to sleep. It's, it, it, it makes life harder because as we care for little kids, you know, usually you can count on some, some electricity to, to keep the kids busy for at least 30 minutes or an hour once in a while to get a little bit of peace and quiet. Couldn't do that this week. We had to give the kids complete attention all the time. It was harder, you know? And, and, and as, as, we, as we deal with life being a little harder, a little more annoying, um, it, it, it's harder to... It, it was, what was tempting for me to think is to think that once we get our power back, then we'll have peace. Then it's going to be shalom once the lights come back on. And I don't, have to, you know, I don't have to get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom and be like, oh, I need a flashlight to see anything. Then it's going to be peaceful. I'm going to have peace then. But the reality is I, I think we, we look at all, all sorts of things in life thinking that when this thing's going to be fixed, when we get this, we're going to have peace. But the, but the reality is that Jesus says, I have come. I am here. I have given myself to you. If you want peace, then receive me. The only thing that's going to give you peace and me peace, whether I have power or not, whether anything else is going right in my life or totally wrong, is Jesus. Jesus. And more of Jesus. And so I can have peace now. No matter how much 
things are, are inconveniencing me or how much I am suffering or how alone I might feel. I can have peace, shalom, now. And this peace is more than enough. Look at, look at how the one who is our peace is descri- described. He is born in Bethlehem, Ephrata, right? If you remember back in chapter 1, uh, Micah gave a list of a bunch of different towns and cities, and, and if you remember me talking about that, the, the names of the cities were significant because they meant something in, in, in light of God's judgment of those cities. They weren't living up to their names, or their names kind of described how God was going to judge them. Well, here, what does Bethlehem Ephrata mean? Bethlehem means house of bread. Ephrata means fruitful. And so where is God's peace going to come from? Where is the one who brings peace going to come from? He's going to come from this fruitful, abundant place of nourishment, this house of bread where his peace communicates nourishment, sustenance, abundance, feasting. How else does he describe this, this peace? He says uh, that he's going to stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, and they shall what? Dwell secure. They shall dwell secure. This, this peace is absolutely settled. There is no fear. We will dwell secure. And, and, and now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. This, this peace extends everywhere. Everywhere. And it's offered to everyone. An all-encompassing peace. This peace is more than enough for us. And so this is how I want to leave us this morning. Do you want peace? Do you want shalom? Now, today. I know that there are a bunch of us listening, watching right now. I know who who are struggling to, to actually experience any peace right now because of things other people have done to you, because of things that are hard that you're going through right now, because of things you're going to have to go through, go through in the future, because of things, wounds you've experienced in the past, I know you're struggling to experience peace. Do you want peace? Well, receive him. Receive the one who was born in the house of bread and who grew up to say what? I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. If you want to feast, come to me. If you want to to be sustained and nourished, come to me. Receive me. Rest in me. If you want peace, then then come to the one who, who said, I am the good shepherd, and I lay my life down for my sheep. Jesus came in order to die for your sin in order to pay for your sin, in order to, to make a way for you to be brought into the presence of God and to know and experience God's love today. That is where peace is found. That is why he is our peace. I encourage you, along with me, let's together receive the only one who will give us peace, who will bring shalom, who will make our lives, no matter how broken they might feel, no matter how much we have might, might have messed them up, that'll make our lives even now as they should be. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us this morning. Help us to know your peace that you offer us. Help us to experience 
shalom today because of who Jesus is, because of what he has done to, to live and to die for us, to rise again. Father, help us to recognize that he is alive, that he is ruling as our shepherd. Father, set us free from anxiety and worry and fear. But Father, more than anything else, help us to, to make it our goal today to receive Jesus, to know him, to know that he is with us, to know that he's enough. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.